My mother had passed away a number of years before and her loss was incredibly traumatic for me. This I spent 10 years going to school at night, getting up at 4.30 every day, working full time, family, kids, what was going on? My marriage was falling apart. Everything was going sideways as well. So there was a whole lot going on at the time. Somehow I ended up getting psych drugs. All they do is spend 10 minutes reviewing what medications you're on and give you another one. They know nothing about human beings. What they are doing right away is telling you you have some kind of brain disorder and these are going to fix your chemicals. So just throw a chemical at somebody. It's not logical. It's not based in scientific fact. There's no tests. There's nothing. It's like you've got a crazy electrician that just goes there and starts snipping at some connections and fusing others together. And there's your brain. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews podcast. For 20 years, accountant Susan Shepard was given multiple psychiatric medications, but she didn't get better, she got worse, to the point of unrelenting suicidal thoughts. Doing her own research into psychiatric medications and recognizing how her body was responding to them, Susan had to go around her GP and her psychiatrist to get to a neurologist for a proper diagnosis. And it turns out Susan has ADHD and dyspraxia. As Susan says, I have gone through life with an unrecognized neurodiverse condition. But Susan's good news of finally getting a correct diagnosis was countered by the horror show of trying to withdraw from the psych meds. Doctors rarely inform patients about the disturbing side effects a person can experience going through withdrawal. And doctors will often deny those symptoms are attributable to the psych meds and instead dismiss them as part of the patient's so-called mental illness. Unsurprisingly, Susan is angry at the medical system for pushing unproven and toxic psych meds on trusting and unsuspecting patients like herself. 
Now Susan is sharing her story of how she overcame severe withdrawal symptoms so that others can avoid the same fate of years of psych meds causing physical and mental suffering, social and emotional shame, broken relationships, and lost careers. Yet, in spite of the multiple losses caused by being polydrugged for years with mind-numbing and intellect-dumbing psych meds, Susan feels better and more alive in every way today. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all the podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounter with medical error or for living with complex chronic illness or any of life's challenges, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Susan Shepard, and as always, a note of caution that some folks may be triggered by Susan's experiences with the healthcare system. Awesome. Thanks, Susan. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I started out being in Scotland and we immigrated to Canada when I was a little over six. Um, my brother had severe asthma and the climate there was not good for him, apparently. And uh, my mother had family here, so we immigrated to Canada and it worked. Oh. So I grew up mostly out west. We came to Montreal and then we were in Toronto for a few months and uh, my father got a sales position out in Alberta, in Edmonton. So I was there for a few, a number of years and then to Winnipeg and Thunder Bay, Vancouver and Toronto. So yes, okay. and now in a small town. <laughs> so okay. I did a bit of moving around. And uh, what did you do after high school? What I, I went to university for a few years, a couple of years, and I got married at 20 years old. So we're uh, chatting today about your experiences with the uh, uh, medical system. When did yeah. all of that start? Well, the what really happened started around 2000, 2001 with the experience that I'm speaking of today. But before that, I'd experienced, I'd always kind of, um, I think I struggled uh, throughout my childhood life with, you know, things that had gone on, depression, like feelings of not being good enough, uh, perfectionism, trying very hard, you know, all of those normal sort of emotions that we all have and we just have to learn how to cope with them and to deal with them. Right. Um, things got out of hand or I was feeling terrible at this particular point. My mother had passed away a number of years before 
and her loss was incredibly traumatic for me. It really was the linchpin in what started the whole not feeling well at all. From there, um, what I did after she passed away was I threw myself in going back to school. I was married with two young children and I went back to school because one of the things that I was very concerned about was being older and um, impoverished, which the irony of irony is I spent 10 years going to school at night, getting up at 4.30 every day, um, working full time, family, kids, to ensure that I didn't end up in this position to get my CMA. So yes, there's nothing like doing everything right and ending up anyway. <laughs> uh, so folks aren't familiar with CMA, what is that acronym for? Oh, what that's for is for a certified management accountant. Now the titles are changing words. Um, you know, it used to be there was chartered accountants and now it's a certified public accountant or a chartered public accountant, I think they're calling everybody now. Mm. <laughs> Not sure, they keep changing the names. Right. But yeah. So uh, you say that when your mom died and your mom's passing was uh, the linchpin of when things started to turn, you started to feel bad. How did you feel bad? Well, what, what, I, what I've realized in retrospect over so many years, because this was a long time ago, it, it was just, it was grief. It was horrible grief. And she really was a, a big part of my life. And I had no sisters. Again, I was far away. And so she was my, what do you want, an anchor almost. So losing her, it was, I lost a great huge piece of myself. That was how uh, I look at it now. Like it was a very, very painful and I really didn't get any support, okay. which, is the problem like when people suffer losses we need others around us to help us <laughs> and unfortunately and, and and i'm not blaming anyone here and i want to be perfectly clear with that I, you know circumstances are circumstances people have their own lives things go on and um some people just aren't even capable of providing people with compassion or support at, and and at certain times in your life you know we all grow we all change so i just want to be very clear with that when i'm speaking i don't want anyone to think i'm aligning any of my friends or family or anything like that i'm not but for me they weren't there when i needed them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, so what uh, were the repercussions of that the repercussions of that was that um, I would feel far worse about myself. Um, why wasn't I able to, 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 to feel better? What was going on? My marriage was falling apart. Everything was going sideways as well. So there was a whole lot going on at the time. Mm -hmm. So when someone says like, you know, you have depression or anxiety, like they're throwing out um, labels for emotions that happen to people when things happen in their lives. 
And uh, somehow, in instead of having support, anyway, I ended up getting psych drugs. So you went to, to see help. a psychiatrist or your GP or? Yes, I ended up at a psychiatrist's office. I was not doing well. And um, I had tried antidepressants earlier on in my life. I'd been given some at a GP. I didn't like them. I didn't like how the way they made me feel and I didn't take them. But because of how bad I was feeling and I'm getting pressure from family, you take the pills, you do what the doctor tells you because everybody's worried. I did. And what kind and of medication were they starting you on? It was antidepressants benzodiazepine, which was, uh, that was clonazepam, known as clonapine. You know, Jordan Peterson is now in Russia somewhere trying to withdraw from the same drug, that one. I was polydrugged from the beginning. Wow, right off the bat. Right off the bat, I was on like two or three drugs, right off the bat. And again, I am, it's, in retrospect, it's very clear to me what happened. I had, you were immediately, like those, some of those things are major tranquilizers. They tranquilize you, they numb down your emotions. And um, so you don't feel as much. So from that perspective, I say that's why a lot of people think they feel better because they can't feel such angst anymore. That's gone. Right. Like that goes down. But there are other effects that you aren't even really aware of. And but you know, but you don't know because your brain doesn't know that it's being disabled. There, I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, um, there are a number of doctors, like renowned doctors that are speaking out about some of the effects of the antidepressants. And one of the things I came across was spellbinding. Have you heard of that? Say that again. No? Spellbinding. No. Um, it's a term that um, Peter Bregan uses it, and uh, he's a renowned expert witness for a lot of these things. The brain, it can't tell you that it's being disabled. Like you don't know. It, it can't, it, the brain tells you like if your hand, if you hurt your hand, but the brain itself can't tell you that something's going wrong with it or that it's not working properly, which is why a lot of people take them because you don't know what it's doing to you at the time. And uh, this is a huge, it's having a huge impact, which is why a lot of people take the drugs and think that they actually need them. They don't realize what's going on, like little by little. In my particular case, um, when I did try to come off them after a year or two and felt horrible, but I was told it was my worsening mental illness. Okay. Okay? Yeah. My mental illness was doing this to me and you need those drugs and you have to take those drugs. And so and again, what, 
why were you wanting to come off them anyway? Because I wasn't feeling good. Like uh, I knew I didn't feel good. Like it was doing things that I couldn't explain at the time. I can now, but I couldn't then. And what I was describing, they're going, oh, that's your mental, like I can't think, I can't focus. Um, I, I can't, now I know, like, it's like you've got a crazy electrician that just goes there and starts snipping at some connections and fusing others together. And there's your brain. And you aren't yourself. You aren't yourself at all. Like for me, I, I realized how much it took away from me. I was a very social person. Now, not able to, I'm better now, but I wasn't able to communicate with friends. That was gone. Um, trying to have an intellectual debate, didn't do it. Like I knew the information, but it was like I was paralyzed. The information was there, but I tell my brain to go get it, and it wouldn't get it. It could be if frightening. It's very frightening. And I see that they're saying brain fog, cognitive deficiency, or cognitive decline. I think that there is a, that's a piece of it, but it's far more insidious than that. It, it, it's, it really is severing connections that your brain has. And I think every other, every person, because we're all individuals, our, our body chemistries are different. Our, what we eat is different. Like our chemicals change all the time in our bodies, all the time. Like to just throw a chemical at somebody and then just leave you, it, it just makes no sense to me. It, it, it's not logical. It's not based in scientific fact. There's no tests. There's nothing. I, I don't understand how they're just billion. Well, I do billions and billions of dollars. That's what I understand. And I, I see that. And uh, a lot of psychiatrists or the ones that I've seen, and I've seen a couple, all they do is spend 10 minutes reviewing what medications you're on and give you another one. They don't, they don't do any talking. That's what they do. They write prescriptions. They know nothing about human beings, about human beings' behavior, about, they just don't, in my opinion. <laughs> what your I experience. From my experience and from many other people that I have spoken to, we have had a very similar experience. It's not like you go into a psychiatrist's office and they're actually trying to find out why you might be in that state. What they are doing right away is telling you you have some kind of brain disorder and these are going to fix your chemicals. Yeah. That seems to be the response. Yeah, their MO. So in the early 2000s, when you decide to go off and these other symptoms manifest, your psych doctor says those are your mental health problems, you've got to stay on your meds. What did you do? 
I believed him. I believed him. I kept taking them. I did as much reading and trying meditation and doing deep dives into my own, what happened in my own life. I tried everything to make myself feel better. Well, nothing worked. Nothing worked. Well, it can't work because your brain is in an altered chemical state. <laughs> it, it won't work because you are being chemically tortured. You've been put, and I believe I mentioned to you, it, it was so bad for the last number of years. All I did was think about suicide all day long, all day long, and cry. And that is not existing. That's no quality of life. And then to finally get off the drugs and realize that that was what they did to you and that they weren't listening. And now I'm seeing all kinds of, and I'm very happy to see this. I am seeing all kinds of stuff now about, um, withdrawal mm -hmm. you know and if that was the line yeah it's your so, worsening mental illness so how long did you continue on with the meds and how many different combos did they try on you and what made you decide to go off them? well i stayed on them for probably 15 years okay so it's only a few years ago that you went off them Oh yes, this is all very within the last uh, three years. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot your 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 question there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So you're on them for 15 years. How many different types and, did you try, um, and why did you want to stop? Well, I was feeling so horrible, I, and I didn't want to stop. That wasn't what got me off them. What happened was I was feeling so bad that I, instead of just sitting there like a crying zombie, which I did most times I saw the doctor, this time I actually had enough juice in me to go like, do something. Like I can't exist like this. Well, the first thing he did was of course suggest ECT, electroconvulsive shock therapy, which um, I had, a fear of, a horrifying fear of, and I'm very grateful I have that. And how come you have he that, ended up had that fear? Because I think it's barbaric. Like just, it, the idea of somebody zapping electricity at somebody's brain, there's no logic to it. it, it I can't, I could never make sense of it in the first place. It was used to torture people. So, <laughs> I had read a lot about the Second World War and was quite hip to some of the practices that had been done with some of these things. So mm -hmm. I was aware that, no, nah, I don't think so. Sounded pretty dodgy to me and very risky. Mm -hmm. So I said no. And uh, he sended me to, uh, sent me to a specialist in downtown Toronto at UHN. And he was the director of psychiatry pharmacology, which is your first clue. And um, I spent 
it's um, and it's quite interesting because I even agreed to do a research study and it was really on your cognitive function and mine was so I couldn't think at all like my IQ if it was a hundred I would have been like delighted there's no way all that stuff is out there but um, what happened was he said, well, you know, it's treatment resistant depression, which again is putting the onus on the person that it's your fault that you're feeling this way. Anyway, he's, I have, I have a copy of his report, which is fascinating because I have copies of them all. And he has listed about 30 drugs for me to try if this one didn't work. Some of them are diabetes drugs for God's sakes. Like I have it right now, you know, it's, it's insane. But he suggested an, uh, a stimulant, an amphetamine. He said that they have had some success with treatment resistant depression. So what happened was um, I agreed, sure, I'll take it, I'll try it. And within- You're so desperate you try anything. Oh God, you pull up my fingernails if you told me it was going to take this thought, these thoughts away from me. Like it was awful. I, I can't describe it. It's, it's, it's not anywhere near a normal state. You can't feel like that normally. No matter how bad you feel uh, without psych drugs, it's nothing to how bad you can feel on them. And I think people need to realize that. It's a totally altered state. Anyway, he gave me, um, like I said, the stimulant and within about two hours of taking it, I felt, oh my God, those feelings went away. Wow. Gone. Instantly. And it was in my brain kind of went, and all of a sudden, like it started to kind of function, sort of. And it was, well, what is this drug? What's it used for? And what is it doing? And I started researching it and, um, you know, found out it was used for ADHD and started doing some research on what ADHD was and went, oh my God, I think that's me. And I think that explained a lot of the difficulties that I'd experienced growing up and in my young life and everything else was I am I I was just diagnosed with it like three years ago so I proved it right and um anyway I segued off there but getting back to how I got off I got the amphetamine which got me exploring got me looking and I went I don't want these drugs anymore the other drugs like Oh my God. And they're also contraindicated for people with ADHD. Oh, so you recognize that you had ADHD and that these other psych drugs were not helpful and that what you really needed was just the ADHD drug? I'd be, at the beginning, we're, we're starting on that journey. I thought about that, okay? okay? And, but I, because ADHD to me is a neurodiversity, it's traits. It's not a mental illness. It's not a psychiatric disorder. It's nothing like that. You're just different. You think differently. 
you learn differently, you're just different. And we've all got different compiled, different traits in all of us. So some people have bits of it and some people have other bits of it. Mm-hmm. Like that's my viewpoint of, of it after having researched. <laughs> but what happened was realizing what the stimulant did, I, I went, okay, I gotta get off these. I, I, at this point, I was still seeing the psychiatrist. I said to him, I wanna come off these. He said, no, 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 don't. You need to take them. And, and I thought, well, this isn't, and he's going, you don't have ADHD. Can I get tested? Well, no, you don't have it. Like total shutdown, no way. So I decided to come off them anyway and just not go back. And what I did is, like they would phone in repeats. And um, so I would get the repeats and get ev- and just fill the amphetamine, which I used to weed off the drugs, the other, the psych drugs, because for some reason, the stimulant doesn't agree with me. I have horrible physical side effects. It's great on the brain, but physically it's not good for me. And I recognize that. So what I did was I used it as little as possible. It was when I couldn't stand feeling suicidal any longer that I would break it down to just as little as I could take. I was breaking open the capsule. So far less than the minimum dose that you can actually take. I was taking less than that. And I would take it, I think it was about every four days because that would just give me enough to make me take me out of that suicidal space. Right. And um, it would give me a reprieve so I could stick it out for another few days and until it's eventually got better and I didn't feel like that any longer. It didn't go so far down. So and that's how I got off. So did you stop all those other drugs cold turkey or did you taper down them? Um I was done taking them all in a month. So pretty fast. There was no tapering. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea there was such a thing as withdrawal. I have found out so much in the last year after <laughs> that I'd, I'd gone through it all. So yeah, it's been a very eye-opening experience. So that withdrawal uh, was probably rougher than it could have been had you known that withdrawal was a thing. Oh, absolutely. The knowledge of it would have helped me knowing that because I was going, I don't, I was hesitating still going, am I mentally ill? I'm like, you've been brainwashed into thinking you're mentally ill and the way you feel, oh my gosh, yeah, okay, you are. Like you really are, you've been chemically put there and your brain isn't working and you have to give it time. And that's the other piece that people really aren't aware of, especially if you've been on them for a fairly long time, your brain is shut down its normal function. It's not producing what it produced before. And you have to give it time to start to, if you're fortunate, 
and it does remember how to operate again. And that's what happens over the over the course of um, well, it's been three years, but I just had a recent um, reminder about um, last summer, and I was feeling a hundred percent better. Like I'm, I, I can't tell you how much better like I was feeling. So it's not like you're in the depth of despair for years and years, and I don't want people to think that. But what happened was a, a friend of mine invited me up to a cottage and I had the most unusual sensation. And I realized, oh my God, that's called excitement. I hadn't felt that in years. Like, a, oh, I'm getting to do something. I had that feeling. And those are the things that are still happening to me. Wow. So there's a whole emotional life that was shut off from you for 15 years. Totally gone. And people don't realize it. You're, you don't know what's going on. And the more I get back, the more I've realized what was taken away. And it's really quite painful. It's, it's incredibly painful. That's a lot of loss on a lot of different levels to have to deal with. Well, yeah, and because you are not yourself, you're not functioning the way that you always function. Uh, you lose friends, you lose family. Um, and um, my, my sons aren't even aware that I'm off the psych drugs. How come? They're not speaking to me right now. They go, there was never a fight, they just drifted away. And, I, and I'm, again, I want to say there's no blame. Things happen. Horrible things happen with these things. Horrible things. And so many people's lives have been destroyed and ruined. Um, not just mine. And, and that's, it's a public health crisis. It, like it really is. It's mm -hmm. a crisis out there. And that the lies and the deceit that's still going on, it, it, it's just, it's really horrifying to really recognize that human beings are that depraved, like seriously. Yeah, for profit. So the, the psych med, you had to struggle with all of those symptoms, you had to struggle with withdrawal. It sounds like your sons have drifted away from you because you were on those psych meds and you weren't who you really are. Um, your career, uh, being an accountant, how did that play out with? Well, what happened was that I couldn't understand why I couldn't think anymore. I couldn't do things that were normally easy for me. Like I just, I couldn't focus like ADHD. Okay. You've already got a trouble with focusing, <laughs> but nothing like that. I, it was just. And then I couldn't control my emotions. I was crying all the time. I was a professional for God's sakes. You know, it was, oh, it was just, oh. So what ultimately happened so, with your career? Oh, I lost my job, jobs. I couldn't, I couldn't, and, and the thing was, I kept trying. 
I kept trying so hard because it was me. I was the one. There's something wrong with me. And I'm just not trying hard enough. And so I kept pushing myself, pushing and trying and trying and miserably failing. Beating and, yourself um, up. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, not only are you damaged by the drugs, but the impact of believing that it's you that you are the one that can't control their emotions you're the one that can't do this you're the one that can't do that you're a failure you're this you're that your family doesn't want anything to do with you look at you look at you so you've had quite the the shift uh coming out of yeah. the withdrawal and the different perspective on what really was going on oh absolutely and for that, I am so grateful, I can't tell you, because I have myself back. And I have a very dear friend, and um, we've been friends for nearly 40 years. And, you know, our friendship drifted apart during the psych years, but we, you know, we did stay in contact. But like for the last couple of years, again, it's gotten closer and closer. And I mean, the last year, and I talked to her a few times a week, and it's always, you're back, you're back. So somebody, <laughs> which is, it's so nice to hear, if you, if, you, if you know what I mean, that somebody that is so excited, you know, you're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they're, they're getting to interact with you because they like you. Yeah. So that kind of stuff has been very positive. So for folks who are listening, they're thinking, oh, you know what? I'm also thinking I need to get off these psych drugs because they're not working for me. How long would you say the process was from when you stopped until you're sort of feeling more yourself? Maybe not all, totally back to yourself, but, you know, a long way back. Um... Mm, a year and and i'm I, and i think I, it's a year when you start to really notice things improving um what i found for me was it would happen in bits like the day instead of feeling like just horrible all day 24 7 you get a a respite of 10 or 15 minutes wow. where, oh, and you hang on to that because you didn't have that before and you build on that. And well, that's what I did. And that's what I would tell everyone. Don't give up. You hang on to that, that minute when you don't feel like that, that means you can do it. Like your brain is fixing itself, but you have to be nice to it. <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to be kind to yourself and compassionate to yourself. And, and, you know, this is a horrific ordeal that your brain is having to rebalance itself, your whole nervous system. Like, and I haven't even got into what some of the physical symptoms were because there's a whole whack of those that go along with withdrawal as well. Neurological issues. Tell me a bit about those. So... Unable to control the body temperature, not a hot flash, entirely different. 
but you're cold and then you are so hot that your whole body is sweating. For me, it was like I was covered in um, candle wax. It was like I was dipped in candle. It was greasy, horrible. My feet went up to balloons. I've never had problems with my feet. I couldn't walk barefoot for a year and a half because they were so sensitive and so swollen. Like all these things are sorting themselves out. I think your body has to detox from the chemicals is a big piece of, I think what goes on, quite unpleasant. Yeah. You know, headaches, rapid heartbeat, uh, brain zaps. Mm. Brain zaps, feels like you've got electric shocks going on in your brain. Uh, what I have, people that I have spoken to, that's a very, very common occurrence. And it's really frightening and very unpleasant, especially if you don't know what it is, which I didn't. <laughs> right. But so there's, there's a whole host of things that go on. Well, if something is out of your system, like alcohol, for example, if alcohol's out of your system for three or four days, you know, you're going to start to feel fine in a week or two. And I, but I'm not talking about people that have had a very severe drinking problem here. I'm just talking about people that may have drank a little too much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's true, but it's not the same with psych drugs. Like the recovery is years. And a lot of people don't make a full recovery. The, and I really don't know if I will either because I still don't know I'm still noticing things that are coming back to me. Uh, and it's three years that I've been off. Wow, so you're still healing. I'm still healing. And actually, it's only been um, uh, a year and a half, I think, since I had the last piece of amphetamine. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely still healing. Like, I think my body's still healing. And I think the experience itself, I've had a lot of healing to do with that. Like actually recognizing what had happened to me, like going through the rage, the grief. Um, Letting the self-blame go. Oh my God, the guilt, the blame, the, oh, you, oh my goodness, you can't beat yourself up any harder. <laughs> So but, what, what helped you get through that to change your mindset and realize what was really going on? Education. Oh. I researched. That's what did it. I've always been a researcher, so I'm very fortunate where I used to be, and now it's all back. And um, I really dove into it. I really started looking at stuff and... Yeah, and, and that's what helped me. There's a number of uh, online uh, resources. Uh, for example, there is one on Facebook alone. I'm not a member of it, but 100,000 people on Benzo Buzzy Buddies. That's for withdrawal from benzodiazepines. 100,000 on one site. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's the other thing. You can't get any kind of information about outcomes. There are none. There is no statistics. There is no data. All you hear is they help some. Who? 
define health. What does that mean? Like, are people off them functioning well? Back to work. Like the increase in long-term disability is is staggering. I I have I have my file that my doctor sent to CPP because I am on a CPP disability. Canada Pension Plan and Canadian citizens. So uh, as part of that, when you reach 60, you can apply for a disability if you're unable to work. Well, I wasn't, you know, able to. But that file now is, wow, perfect. Thank you very much for telling me what psych drugs did to my brain now that I'm well. Can you please explain why I am well? Can you? No. I guess it's just a miracle. And it is actually a miracle that somehow or another, through fluke, that I ended up off them and where I am now. Yeah, it's what you have inside you. And I, and I don't think we actually realize how much inner strength is there. But the more I, I figured out, the more determined I was, I want to find out more. I really want to know what, what happened to me, but what's happening from a big picture perspective. Like what is happening? And it's a very unhappy picture. It's, 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 it's horrifying, actually. It's much worse than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, big pharma is about big money and not about little people. Well, doctors, in my opinion, doctors have no business prescribing something when they don't know anything about it. And they certainly don't seem to know, and I'm talking from that statement there, is uh, psychiatrists, they know darn well what they're doing. They don't, they, I'm not even giving them a get out of jail free beer card. They know. Uh, GPs, perhaps not. They're being told that these are great drugs, but they're prescribing them and they not being aware of the side effects. And when you look at the warnings on those drugs, do you realize those side effects are what they're actually prescribing the drug for? Yeah, that's your returning mental illness. Get it? That's how it works. It's a moneymaker. Quite... It is. And, and in the GP's defenses, they're responsible for about 60 to 70% of the antidepressant prescriptions nowadays. And they're handing them out for menopause. They're handing them out for skin rashes. They're handing out antipsychotics for neurological pain and pain and, and like it's insane yes. and they really don't understand what they're doing which means they really have no business prescribing them mm -hmm. and the only reason that they do so is because there is no accountability uh they're not responsible it doesn't matter um you have i went and spoke to or didn't actually go I called over 20 lawyers' offices. Not one would even talk to me. What were you wanting the lawyer to do? I wanted to know what kind of case I might have for a malpractice. Like I've got a neurologist, it's a 
a cognitive behavioral neurologist at Sunnybrook diagnosing me with ADHD. But I just mean like, what did you do? And I, by me being well right now, they can't explain why I would be well. There is no explanation. <laughs> How can I go from that person three years ago and, and this person now, and the only difference is no psych drugs. So that is the explanation. That is the explanation. So, um, and again, um, with the, the UN in the, the UN repertoire is, they are defining a lot of the psychiatric drugs as torture, what happens to people as, psych, as psychological torture, because it is, because you don't know what's happening to you. Mind boggling. Yeah. So the lawyers that uh, wouldn't really give you the time of day, did you find out why that was? Well, they have no hope in hell of uh, getting a case. They know that. Uh, here in Canada, I believe, if you actually can get it to trial, you have a less than 2% chance of winning. And that's if you can get it to trial. It's the doctors have the lawyers. Taxpayers yeah. pay for the lawyers for the of the doctors. That's correct. Yeah, through the yeah, it's it's unbelievable. They are such a protected class. Um, they are protected from legal consequences that no one else's. And um, it, it just I find it really. No wonder they feel omnipotent. They are. Yeah. You know, they, they can do whatever they like and there's no consequences. Like Medi medically, legally, they, they're untouchable. They really are. I, I really realized th this piece because um, when I lived in Whippy, just at the local clinic that I was in, there was a doctor there seven times. He was brought up to yeah, the College of Physicians and Surgeons to seven times for sexual assault. They finally took his license on his seventh time. Now that's seven people reporting him. It took them that long to address that. They're not addressing anything. They cover for each other. There's documentation all over the place. But like they, 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 they're going to lie to protect one another as well. And it's the system. It's systemic. It, it is systemic. And so very few of us can go throughout our lives without having any contact with the medical system. How much contact do you have with it now? And how do you? None. None. <laughs> okay. None. 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 Because I'm a, unfortunately, I have a zero trust. I don't have any trust. I know they lie. I can prove that. Um, they don't know about the drugs. I can prove that. Yeah, I don't trust my doctor. I don't, I don't. I, you know, I would go, I guess, if I figured out what I needed, but I would have to figure out what I needed. I would analyze my own blood tests uh, and do my own research before I'd allow, I would not take a prescription because I, I know they don't know what they're talking about. I think it applies to absolutely every bit of it. They don't 
know what they're prescribing. Yeah, healthcare is just so broad. There's so much to learn and there's so much new information coming out every day. It's impossible for any GP to keep right. up with and, it. And the whole thing, absolutely. And the solutions now are a prescription. Doctors don't do only wellness. They're not telling you, you could be short of magnesium. And let's not even talk about, you know, how many nutritional deficiencies that cause all kinds of mental health symptoms in the first place. Most people are short of magnesium. Most people are short of vitamin D. Like it's not like, you know, things are missing in the, in the soil now. Our vegetables, our, thing, our food doesn't have the nutrients that we require. Those kind of supplementations can help you actually feel better. But instead, they're going to give you a prescription that probably depletes more of that, which, oh, by the way, psych drugs, they deplete your magnesium, vitamin D, all kinds of stuff. Do they mention any of that? No, that also will make you worse because your physical body is being, it's being deprived of essential nutrients because of the pharmaceutical product that you're on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the doctors know. we go to, they are strictly allopathic medicine and they do not even respect anything outside of their knowledge. And that very limits how much treatment you can get. Like they, like you said, they won't even really look at magnesium vitamin D levels unless pushed. And, and, those, are, and those can cause terrible illnesses. You know, like if you're short of salt, like your heart will destabilize. Like that's where a lot of arrhythmias come from. Is because your salt is, you don't have enough sodium in your blood. Like all kinds of like simple, simple solutions that, you know, in the old days, you know, the old wives' tales of how you fix a lot of the stuff, some of that stuff makes a lot of sense. They may not have known why back then, but now that we've got, like, you know, you understand some of the stuff, like, oh my God, my grandmother thought bacon soda cured everything. <laughs> and it's surprising what it does, <laughs> what it does do, you know, yeah. it like it, it reduces the acidity in your body. Every virus, every bacteria, cancer, everything else needs an acidic environment to prosper. Bacon soda, it's a bit more alkaline. It's weird. Who knew? <laughs> Something so simple and accessible and inexpensive. Yes, 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 exactly. So there's there there's a lot of things. It, it's psychiatry. It, it's the deceit. It's patient safety. Like really, all of that is. If it all boils down to it, it is a patient safety issue, isn't it? I concur absolutely. What's going on? Yeah. And there is a direct correlation with antidepressants, antipsychotics, the more daring, the more prescriptions that go out, the higher the suicide rate is. You know, that nonsense that people will commit suicide, or I'm sorry, I don't mean to say use that word, that's not the right word, will die by suicide after they're started on a course of some of these drugs. And their answer is, well, they have more energy to do so. No. No, no, that's not what happens. You've totally mucked up their chemistry and some people are very, very susceptible to immediate changes and will act on them. And they know this. 
they know that there's a specific enzyme too for metabolizing drugs that they know if you're deficient in it you're really you're in for a really rough ride and that you know people aren't surviving uh perchance was one of the medications that you took called zeprexa zeprexa i've heard of that one no i'm not sure i'd have to look to see if i was ever on it why I just recently interviewed a lawyer, Jim Gottstein, who, right, and where Eli Lilly was hunting all of the uh, negative impacts from the research and knowingly harming people and not really helping people, but making lots of money. Yeah, well, I pretty much say that just about all the research, because when you actually figure out and find out what is in the research, they're cherry picked. There's usually conflict of interest because it is funded by the company <laughs> that's promoting the drug. And I was absolutely shocked to find out that they're ghost written and that you're getting um, Harvard Medical School professors signing off on it. Like it's, it's mind boggling. So it's marketing. So you went through uh, this big section of your life where you're on psych meds and it didn't do you a whole lot of good. And then you went through this period of withdrawal and healing. And sounds like you're moving into a new section of your life. What holds for your future? That is what a wonderful question because I don't know. I've been left in a position where I'm financially just done. I'm done. Um, how to reinvent myself, how to get back to work, because I would love to be working, but my reputation was destroyed. And, and I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do at this point. And it's, it's very frustrating. I, I have no idea. You're figuring it out. I am figuring it out. And the thing is, is because I feel so much better, I have hope again, which was gone. So when you have hope, you never know how your life might change. You, you never know. Like I'm not ready. I didn't, struggle this hard to give up now and i really want to stop and prevent others from being harmed i i don't want people to go through what i've gone through that it's wrong it took away my potential it took away everything what my life could have been like and again it's could have you know you never know but that was taken from to function as myself, that was taken from me. And now that I have it back, I wanna try and make the most of it. I'm, I'm able to interact again, and I'm actually very happy that I was able to reach out and speak to you, because I wouldn't have been able to even do that six months ago, because I was still feeling a bit raw. And uh, that I've come along so far, and I find now that, you know when you kind of, it, take, it seems to take forever to reach a point. Like it's almost like a tipping point. 
and it's a snowball. And I feel like now I'm kind of that snowball and it's just all going and it's going in a good direction. So that's how I feel now. That could be exciting. It is kind of, you know, like I actually feel hope and excitement in, in, instead of terror and I want to die. So it's a good change. It's an excellent change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty stark, you know, life you describe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, that's where I'm at. So, and being able to speak to people again, being able to actually access my thoughts, which I wasn't able to do, all those things have made a tremendous difference. And I don't know how my life is going to work out or what's going to happen, but I, I really feel that I could contribute to this. I, I, I the thing is, I have no background in psychology other than I'm very self-taught. But I know with my lived experience, I could be of invaluable assistance to people that are struggling. And I would love to be able to, to do that. I tried, uh, I started looking at peer support, um, you know, just to start, just to get something going. And all that, it, that is basically trying to make sure people take their medication. I can't do that. <laughs> is there a, uh, like a psychiatric survivors group? Oh, there's tons. There's a lot very active community online. That would seem to be where your peer peering would fit with those folks as opposed to the... Yes, absolutely. And I do a little bit of that online. You know, and, and, and that's great. But I would really like, I think person to person can be an invaluable help for people. Just to have someone who's non-judgmental, passionate, you know, that can listen. Sometimes that's all you need. It bothers me that we are spending billions of dollars in healthcare as for an ineffective mental health system and damaging. Like it doesn't work. And we're wasting our money. We're damaging people and we're wasting our money. There has to, they can't prove outcomes. No data is gathered. There's nothing. Like these guys are just lying like sidewalks and nobody's calling them out on it. I don't get it. Or is everybody so happy with their stock portfolio in uh, Pfizer and Eli Lilly that they're just shutting up? Is that what it is? It's really hard to fathom how a system that seems so obviously broken can continue to get bigger and have more money put into it. Oh yeah, and and when and when you see these uh, trolling for patients, you know, Bell, let's talk day. You know, let's waste more money, throw good money away after the bad. Like we're literally just wasting our money and damaging people doing it. Yep. I, I resent that the psychiatrists, you know, like they're most of them are making close to half a million dollars a year, and what are they doing? Poisoning people. You look around their waiting rooms. I'm sorry, I didn't see any happy people there. Uh, you see people that aren't there. 
And that's not their fault. That's a doctor's fault. And it's just wrong. And we're paying them to do it, mm -hmm. handsomely paying them. I wonder when in the future the tipping point will be where the majority of society recognizes that this is a messed up way of trying to treat mental health. Well, I think the more voices that get out there, because there's already so many more online, like people are being exposed to it, that kind of knowledge is slow because mm. the mass marketing, and for heaven's sakes, the commercials. Like, so your um, your eyes are blinking uncontrollably and your foot is jerking uncontrollably. We've got a medication. Don't stop taking the one that's causing that, mind you. You need to take a new one. How are they getting away with this? Yeah, it's, it's uh, disturbing. It's incredibly disturbing. Well, thank you, Susan, for sharing your story and uh, your recovery. Uh, that's uh, pretty amazing. Not a lot of folks, you know, come out the other side or are able to. And, and that is, I think more could if they knew and uh, had support, I think we could get a lot more off. But I think the critical piece is stop people from taking them. Like, don't start them in the first place. And for that to happen, the problem is we need to offer an alternative. There has to be something else. And right now there is nothing. So people are going to feel so desperate and not listen and, and take them and then end up in a mess. And this is what's happening to millions of people and it's millions. There's words for people to have echo in their ears. Yes, yeah. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Susan. And uh, oh, one final question. What are you doing nice for yourself today? Oh, well, I was already out today walking around. I live in a lovely little community and it's a beautiful sunny day. So I just take pleasure in all the very little things. That also is a way to feel better. That's what I'm doing. And I hope you're doing something nice for yourself too, because we need to. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good habit I've already gotten into. Well, thanks to Susan Shepard for sharing her experiences with the healthcare system. If any of Susan's experiences resonate with you, share them on social media so other folks can make informed decisions about what to put in their body that will impact their brain. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all of the podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounter with medical error or for living with complex chronic illness or any of life's challenges, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. 
Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.